The primary purpose of the Matova Mind experience is to educate, and it doesn't constitute advice or services. Before making any changes, please consult a medical or dietary professional. Nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So, take a seat and enjoy the ride. Hey, 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 welcome back to the Matt Overmind Experience. I'm your host, master trainer, and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today, I have for you a spiritual Christianity thought leader, Branch Isoli. And of course, we're going to have a hackered episode for you. And it's going to be the seven steps of relationship repair. So stick around for this because oftentimes, you know, this is a weight management show. and We talk a lot about nutrition and food. And, well, of course, food and nutrition, I guess, goes hand in hand, um, you know, training. And we, we talk about so many things. But today I want to talk about spirituality and meditation and relationships and things that we don't tend to focus on, but are very important in our lives. And with that being said, let's welcome Branch to the show. Hey, Branch, how are you doing today? Zico, good afternoon. It's great to be here. I've really been looking forward to this conversation after listening to um, several of your podcasts. And I thought, matter over mind. And at one time in my life, I was exercise, uh, you know, addicted. But as I've aged, that exercise has gotten more redefined. So I was I was anxious to see what we were going to talk about today. And I think relationships um, is a great place for us to start. Yes, I think so. And a lot of people get confused with that title. That's why I love that title so much, because it's I, I label it the matter over mind experience. People are like, what do you mean? What do you mean? That the, the mind is not important. And I said, no, that's not what I'm saying. This is a weight management show. We focus on improving your health. Well, the years that I've been working on improving my health and I've gotten myself off, medic- off medication wasn't by motivation and meditating it away. It was by making physical changes that got me to where I am. You know, when I started work changing the foods that I eat, when I would change the way that I train, even one can argue when you do things like meditation, that's a physical thing that you do. You have to create that space to actually meditate. So when we talk about the battle over mind experience, like New Year's is coming, everybody's saying, hey, you know, New Year, new me, I'm going to work out and do this and do that. And they try to motivate themselves to good health and it doesn't happen. So we don't focus on that. We focus on making gradual changes, whatever those changes can be to get you to where you're supposed to be. And that's the, really the idea behind the matter over mind experience. And with enough about me though, Branch, this is your show to so tell my audience about yourself. Oh, thanks, Zico. Uh, I, I was uh, raised in the 50s and 60s in the hippie era. I grew up in a military family, was able to travel 
quite a bit in my life, lived in different cities and different countries, was blessed to be exposed to different people, different uh, thoughts and awarenesses, you know, different lifestyles. After college, I went into corporate sales and marketing, did that for about 15 years. I uh, was very successful, you know, in the material world, but was sort of lost in my life. So I left that and uh, went on a journey of rediscovery and then and was involved with five different small business startups as partner or founder. And at midlife, I had my midlife crisis and decided instead of buying a Corvette, I would go back to school and get another degree. So um, I had started on a spiritual path at that point in my life. So I went back and got a a master's in theology degree. And at the same time, uh, I was compelled to write a book. And so that's where my first book came from. And now 25 years later and 22 books later, here we are. Oh, that's a fantastic, fantastic journey. I like the, I like where you pivoted and said, you know, instead of buying a Corvette, I decided to go back to school. That, that's, that's just such, that's such a Zico thing to do. Like, I, I love it. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, now let's get into this, right? We want to start by talking about the end times. Cause people are afraid to talk about it or just try to ignore it. But you let, let us know, are the end times real? Well, if, if you read the Bible and, and you read prophecy in scripture, um, yes, they will be real. They will come to pass. Um, it's, it's like you say, it's interesting. It's a little scary. Not a lot of people are familiar with the end times. It's not something that's even spoken of a lot of in church, which is kind of interesting in the Christian church. But um, if you read Scripture, scripture lays out for us um, what God says about the end times and what will be happening. You know, most people who've heard about the end times and or last days, they know the labels uh, 666, you know, the Antichrist, uh, the second coming, the rapture. They've heard these terms or these events. But other than, you know, a real cursory understanding most people don't know what they are, when they're going to happen, what's going to happen, and why they're going to happen. And so uh, the end times are real for those of us who believe. And the interesting part of my study and what I try to share with people is the events that are described as the end times or last days, for them to happen, it's going to be necessary for a variety of precursor events to take place. And let me give you an example. Most people have heard of the mark of the beast, right? And they know that that's associated with uh, worship or adoration of the Antichrist when he's here. And the mark of the beast in its fundamental terms means that if you have that mark, you will be able to participate in the economy, in buying and selling of goods and services. If you don't have that mark, you will be prohibited or locked out of the economy. You won't be able to buy and sell. In order to survive, you'll be having to trade or barter, you know, to get the things that you need to survive and be sustained. So this mark of the beast, although most people 
think they know what it's about, <clears throat> for it to happen, for the world to go to a one world economy, you know, it's not going to happen in a day. There are certain things that are going to have to take place that set up the stage for that to take place. And that's the important part of understanding or getting to know more about the end times as they apply to us who are alive today. That's powerful. And I, I know you, you see me take my glasses off and there's a reason why, because I do have some stuff to talk about when, it, uh, when we, you know, we get into this story, my brother, I'm gonna give you some, my brother called me the other day and he said, and he told me a story and he, he told me growing up, my, my, I used to always teach my brother scriptures and he would tell me something that happens and he would talk about recent de- development in technology. And he said, this reminds me of exactly what you were talking about in Revelations. He said, for some reason, say everything that we've talked about, the stuff that you talked to me about in Revelation, when we talk about the chips and how they're coming up with bodies that uh, where they have the chips in the back of their head and or, or in their hand. And these are the things that, you know, the Revelations actually talks about. And sometimes we have to stop and say, you know, we try to say, oh, this is just a book. It's just a story. But if you really pay attention to the things that the Bible talks about, and I'm not a pastor by any stretch of the imagination, but if you pay attention to the things that the Bible talk about, you will see it unfolding. And then if you really think about it, like there's no way someone could have known this thousands of years ago. And if you think of how the, the Bible is not one person or a group that sat down and said, okay, let me write this. These are a combination of books that are guided specifically for God's people. And to see it unfolding the way that it is written, it is really unreal. At, at minimum, it should pique your curiosity. And when you start talking about these things, tears about to come to my eyes because that's absolutely powerful. So go ahead, Branch. Thank you so much for sharing that. And let me gather myself here for a second and go on to the next question because we're going to talk about heaven, right? And the stairway to heaven. So people have heard this before because we talked about the end times already. So now people may start thinking, okay, I need to get to heaven. I need to be with God. I need to... I need to be, if if you want to call it saved, right? So what are the steps on this stairway to heaven? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, as a, as a spiritual teacher, as a, a mentor for people who are wanting to start or restart their spiritual path and their spiritual adventure, the most often question that I get is, okay, I'd like to have that relationship, that spiritual relationship with God, with the Lord. But how do I do it, right? Um, the Bible is very difficult for me to read. I don't understand the names and and the places. And so much of it is, you know, from long ago. And uh, the new part is informative, but it's kind of confusing. You know, I read one book and then it says the same thing in another book and another book. So a lot of people try to get into scripture and find it difficult. So they say to me, how can I start or restart a relationship with the Lord? And I'm talking for Christians now, or people who are thinking about or want to become Christians. How do I start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? The interesting thing about God is he never demands anything of us. You know, he's given us free will to make choices in our lives 
without demanding that we do certain things in order to have a relationship with him. In that vein, because it's not a demand from him, it has to be an invitation from us. And by that, I mean, we have to invite Christ, Jesus Christ, to come into our lives. The great thing is, once we invite him, he, he responds. He sends his spirit to be with us and live with the spirit that's already in us from birth. So in Matthew 7, we're told, invite Christ into your life. It's ask, seek, and knock. And when we invite him in, when we ask him to come into our lives, to send us his spirit, he tells us in John 16, I will send the spirit of truth to live with you. And that's his spirit and the same spirit that is God Almighty. So we establish or reestablish that spiritual connection with God through Christ that we had when we were in our essence a spirit, when the spirit which is us came to live in our soul within our mind and body. You know, we are a composition or a combination of mind, body, soul, and spirit. And so we invite Christ into our lives. He sends his spirit to be with us. Once we have his spirit, then whenever we want to call upon his spiritual strength, all we do is, in this situation that I now find myself, what would Jesus do? And when we ask that question before we have to make a choice or a decision, his spirit brings an awareness to us of what the outcomes or the possible fallout from our choice may be. When we have his spirit and we're using that strength in our life, what we're doing is we're emulating or copying or imitating what Jesus would do in that same situation. In John 14, 6, he tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. Well, a lot of people think he's the way, meaning he's the path, and that's true. But he's also the way that we can respond in our lives, in our daily lives, when we have to face decisions or choices. How am I going to respond? Am I going to respond in the me way, in the world's way? What's it about me? You know, it's all about me. Or am I going to respond how God, as a loving parent, would have me respond? And the fifth step is real simple. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it tells us that if we believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, and we express that with our mouths and with our heart and our actions, then we will be saved. That's the road to eternal salvation for any believer, any new believer, or anyone who wants to be a believer. But the real key is once we've got his spirit and we believe that and confess that, his spirit will start working in our lives right here on this earth every day that we turn to him in order that we reduce the stress and the struggle and the conflict in our lives and in our relationships. That's how gaining or regaining that spiritual strength can turn your life around. 
And you just do those five simple steps. Invite, embrace, engage, emulate, and believe. And if you do those things, from the moment you do those five steps, his spirit will come alive in you because you already have a spirit within you from God as the creator. What Christ's spirit is going to do, it's going to re-spark or reactivate the spirit that's in you so that now you will see the truth. And that's what it is. It's the spirit of truth. That's the spirit of God and Christ. The spirit of truth allows you to see the truth in your life. You look at the world and you look at your own life and you'll see the truth. Now, how will you see the truth? Because you'll immediately recognize the fakeness or the falsehood or the lies. You know, they will no longer be hidden by the veil of this world. The veil will be lifted. You'll see the truth and you'll also see the untruth. Then the decision, okay, which way am I going to go? Am I going to walk to the truth or am I going to walk to the lie? And that's simply the choice that we make every day in our lives. Wow, that's that's powerful because at the end of the day, it really comes down to the decisions that we make. And you have if you to get to where you to get to where you should be, you have to make the right decision and you have to consciously make that make that choice. And that's why we have free will instead of being forced to so it's not that we can't make a different choice. But it's just like with anything else, any choice that you make has a consequence. Any choice that you make, there is an outcome to that choice. Just like I talk about your health all the time, any decision you make with your health, there's an outcome to that choice. So we have to be focused to that. I was having a conversation with my uncle the other day, and he was telling me about how, you know, how terrible the world is and people's reality and people don't always say what they mean and so on and so forth, what they're going through. And I said to him that it also, we have to think about oftentimes we create our own reality with the decisions that we make, with how we respond to things, we create that reality. You know, if I have to, when my friends say to me, oh, this is God's will, this is God's will. Why did God put this man in my life, this woman in my life? Why did God do that? And I sometimes I say to him, are you sure God did that? Because God told you not to lay down with somebody before you, um, before you get married and you decided to do it. So are you sure God put that person in your life? I mean, think about it. You know, again, I'm not preaching because I'm not a pastor, but yeah, these are the things that we have to think about. Like we, we get so tied up in, in what we think things should happen and the way things should go, but it often comes down to decisions and the actual things that we're doing in our lives. So. Again, um, and just one thing I'm going to quote, if you don't mind, you know, my grandmother used to always tell me growing up that faith without work is dead, you know, and, and, this, and the scripture says, says that as well. So, you know, with, with anything, you know, the, the work, the, the, the belief and carrying out what you believe have to go hand in hand, which is absolutely powerful when working well together. So, again, thank you so much. Now that takes me to my next question, because we're talking about life lessons now and things that we experience. And you you have some ta- some thoughts on this from what I understand. What are the 12 life lessons that we all experience? Well, first, let me say what you just said is key to daily living. For every choice or decision we make, there's a consequence. You know, there's a result. There's some form of fallout or that experience that we are going to live as a result of those consequences um, as a result of our original choice 
And that's, this is what so many people, you know, you mentioned it in your description about, you know, sleeping with somebody before marriage. The power of thought is so great that it can change our lives. You know, the philosophy of manifestation that is seeing something in your future and then working towards that goal, um, that's very powerful. But everything that we do comes down to an original thought. You know, when we are born, as I mentioned, we have, because God is the creator and God is spirit, then we as part of his creation and his creatures are also spirit. So we have an original spirit living within us, dwelling within us that comes from God, right? And that spirit, we automatically understand the concept of right and wrong, right? We grow up in a society that fundamentally works on this concept of right and wrong. In its actionable steps, it's actually reward and punishment. You know, every every child about two, age two, learns the meaning of no. And that meaning of no is generally reinforced with reward or punishment. Our whole legal system is built on reward and punishment. So that's what we know. That's what we grow up with. And that's what we embrace. Now, there's nothing wrong with that living that way. However, because we're only thinking about the reward and the punishment, when we have to make a choice, our natural instinct is to say, well, what's in it for me? You know, what do I have to do to get what it is I want out of this situation or this person or this event? So that's the level, that's the place, that's the platform that we're operating on from our natural instinct. What's in this for me when I make this choice or I make this decision? As I say, there's nothing wrong with living your life that way, except when we make poor decisions or inappropriate behavior. A lot of times, a lot of people don't learn the lesson from that experience, right? What do they do? They get in a similar, same situation in the future, and they make that same choice. You know, let me give you an example. If I go to a party and I get inebriated and I'm too drunk to drive, I have three choices. I can drive myself home, which I might have done in the past and I got home successfully, or I can catch a ride with somebody, get a designated driver or hire a taxi or Uber or Lyft, get, get another way home. Well, if I'm only operating on that level of what's in it for me, and I say to myself, well, I've, I've, you know, driven under the influence before and I got home okay, so I'll probably get home again okay. The problem with that thinking is the odds of doing that behavior again and again, sooner or later, you know, are going to change. There's just no getting around that. And so for me to drive under the influence, um, two other things can happen. One, I can get home safe and sound. One, I can get stopped, you know, and arrested and all the costs that a DUI has associated with it. Or I may have an accident which causes bodily harm to myself or others. 
So two of those are not good outcomes for me. They are very expensive in time and money and, you know, harm. And, but since I've driven home before under the influence, I say, oh, I can get home again. Well, when I've got God's spirit living within me, he reminds me automatically of the negative consequences. And he continues to remind me of the negative consequences every time I'm in that situation. And the closer I get to him and the more I use his spirit, I start to understand I don't want the negative outcomes. I only want the positive outcomes, right? If God's a loving parent, he only wants what's best for me. And in his counsel from his spirit, he's allowing me to understand what's best for me in that free will choice I have. Now, here's the power of that. If the power of thought is this, you can be driving your car down the road, listening to the radio, paying attention to what's going on around you, and also thinking about something in your life, in a relationship or at work. The interesting thing, you're doing all of these multiple tasks, but your focus is only on one thought. <clears throat> Whatever you're thinking about, that's where your focus is. God's given us a super computer type of brain where we can change thoughts, you know, literally at the speed of thought, right? Instantaneously. Uh, I read an article the other day that says the average person has 60,000 thoughts every day. Zeke, now you know why you're so tired at night. So you have you have this capacity to change thoughts, but the love of God is so great, he you can only focus on one thought at a time. So what's the power of thought? If you change your thought, then you change your focus. You know, thoughts become actions, actions become habits. Habits become your character, and your character determines your destiny. So if you want to change your life, you start by changing your thoughts, right? You change from the negative thoughts. You get away from the thoughts that you already know from experience are not in your best interest that cause you problems. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you continue to see red flags, you need to be paying attention to those red flags. They are there for a reason. So if you change your thought, you can change the outcome of your choice. If you change that outcome and you consistently change it, then you change from those negative habits, those bad habits, to habits that are in your best interest now. If you change those habits, then your entire character of who you are begins to change, just like if you're losing weight or, you know, building up your aerobic capacity. That change consistently employed makes big changes. And when you make those kind of changes, you can change your life. You can change your destiny. And that's the power of thought. That's the power of focusing on what's in your best interest. And if you want help to know what that is, that's what the Spirit of God living within you will do. That's absolutely powerful. And my only follow-up to that is uh, more of a question. Is, are these the topics that you do write about in, uh, in your books? 
Yes. Yeah, I, I, I basically write about, you know, how to change your life. Um, life is about relationships. And relationships are about balance and growth. You know, balance for each of us <clears throat> comes from an awareness of the totality of who we are. I am mind, I'm body, I'm soul, I'm spirit. You know, too many of us, and naturally so, because we grow up in the world, put that spiritual aspect on the back burner. You know, we go to it when we're in trouble, when we've got an issue, when we want outside help that nobody here can help us with. And we turn to God, you know, and try to bargain with him about, get me out of this situation. And, you know, I'll go to Sunday school every Sunday. And, you know, I'll do all these things and pray and meditate. I will bargain with you so you can give me relief from the situation that I've already chosen to be in, you know, by my choice or decision. So when we get to that place where we start to actually have the relationship with the Lord, then he becomes active in our lives. And so I write about balance. I write about growth. Um, I write about the steps and the processes for people to have better relationships, healthier relationships, you know, uh, improve their career or their job situation, and also to, you know, personally grow, to be self-improving, just like you would when you're working out or when you're trying to change your body uh, dynamics. It's the same thing. You're using your mind, you're using your body, but you're also employing your spirit which makes you a total person. It completes us. Absolutely powerful, my friend. And that leads me into the question that I guess you want to call it a hack of the episode today, because we're going to talk about relationship repair, which we touched on so many topics already about relationship and about spirituality and about God and the power of thought. So break this down for us, because you have some thoughts on the seven steps of relationship repair. What are they? This is, Zeke, this is the most important for any group of listeners because we are all involved in relationships at home, at work, you know, with partners, spouses, children. Our whole life, our daily life is about relationships. What happens too often is that when I do something in one of my relationships that causes harm, you know, usually the first thing we want to do is make an excuse or shift the blame someplace else, not take responsibility. The second thing we want to do is say, okay, um, you know, I did it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's move on. And that's our natural kind of step-by-step -step process. The problem with that is the person who we've harmed may not be ready to get over it that easily. You know, when we cause pain in a relationship, at home or at work, but especially at home with our spouse or our partner, because we made a commitment to them to honor and trust them. And when we do something that is a breach of that trust, uh, the first thing we want to do is correct it. But how we correct it is the key. There's three levels of pain that the harmed person has to go through. There's the manifested act. I do something that, you know, is against what I should be doing 
for my partner. That's the pain of the action. The second level of pain is betrayal. Because I did that act, I have betrayed a trust that the two of us had. The deepest level, of course, is the level of trust. Because once that breach of trust has happened, everything else may be repaired. But if that trust level is never repaired, the relationship will never be the same again. So most people in a, in a relationship that, you know, some harm has been caused, try and go on just the manifested act level. I did something. I'm sorry I did it. Please forgive me. Let's move on. But again, that doesn't address the real betrayal and the trust issue. So there's seven steps that a couple or partners or whoever is in this dynamic can go through in order to at least start on the path of reconciliation. <clears throat> Those seven steps are these. Recognition. The first thing that has to happen is I have to recognize that I have caused harm by what I said or what I did. The second step is I have to take responsibility. I have to admit that I was wrong and I did cause harm. The third step is I have to regret that I did that. The next step, I have to have remorse that I did that. See, these often people say, well, aren't those the same? Well, not really. The regret is that I harmed you. The remorse is for me that I did that harm. You know, I have to be sorry that I harmed you, but I also have to feel sorry that I did that in the first place. So the regret is the step for the transgressor, and the remorse is the step for the one who caused the pain. The fifth step is redress. We have to come up with a solution that agrees for both of us that will take place to make it okay that we move on. The sixth step is repetition. We have to agree that that action can never be repeated again. And the last step is repentance. This one is really interesting because people often think of repentance as a religious thing or, or a church thing, right? Well, repentance in its fundamental form is simply changed future behavior. That means in the future, when I'm in the same or similar situation, not only will I not repeat that action, but there's no way that that can happen. I can't let that happen again. I have to change my future behavior so that it never reoccurs again. So when people are having problems, that they'll go through these seven steps, it may not solve the issue but it helps them get grounded in a place to start where it can go beyond, I'm sorry, please forgive me, let's move on. You know, that kind of response does not uh, force or look at the real issue. The seven steps help the partner start to work through in a cohesive and progressive way to all of the emotions that are involved so that perhaps repair and reconciliation can take place. 
absolutely powerful. The seven steps of relationship repair. I mean, if if you didn't hear them, go back, rewind, and listen to that section again. If you didn't get anything else out of this episode, that's absolutely powerful. And Branch, thank you so much for sharing this with my audience. This has been great. And the last thing I'm going to ask is, let us know where can we learn more about your work? How can we access your books? So on and so forth. Thanks for asking. Um, it's real simple. Just Google my name. I've got a website. It's in my name. I've got a YouTube channel. It's in my name. All my books, all my podcasts, everything is is listed uh, if you just Google my name. And I'm the only one, so it'll come right up first page, and that'll get you started. Um, we're, we've got lots of free things to read, articles, stories, poetry. Um, just get in. Get to it. If you like it, let me know or contact me if you have questions. Do one thing for me before we stop. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you've enjoyed it, then um, give Zico a, a thumbs up and a, and a rating and a good review so he can continue to bring great, great guests on that you have interest in. Branch, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Again, this is a very powerful episode and I've really enjoyed this talk and give me some things to think about myself. So again, thank you so much for being here. And with that being said, we're out of here, fam. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.